0: Thompson, and you're listening to grill Jr with the voice of wrestling. The one and only Jim Ross, Jim. How are you, man? I'm great. Connie couldn't be better. Happy holidays
1: to everybody. Hope you're, uh, enjoying the holiday season. I got big plans for uh, Saturday. I'm going over to see my children in Tulsa. So, uh, and my two granddaughters. So it was a nice little trip and take some uh, Christmas gifts to them. And, uh, I did it They don't, I don't think they listen to the show. But I got them a neat deal on, uh, I got them some cookware, both, uh, both of my daughters cookware, the stainless steel cookware. Yeah. And, of course, you know, the ever ubiquitous cash. People love cash. Yes, they do. And, you know, the thing about it, at my stage of life, Conrad, trying to select the perfect gift for a 16-year-old granddaughter or a uh, 12-year-old granddaughter is somewhat daunting. Sure. And I don't want to see that... uh that, uh, d- look of disappointment on their face, trying to fake me out. So I just get them uh, prepaid credit cards Buy what the hell you want and enjoy it from grandpa. Thank you very much. So it's a, it's a good time of the year and we're doing great business at our little website, uh, Jrsbbq.com, where we ship out orders the same day. We get them more often than not. So if you're looking to buy something for Christmas, some nice sauce, ketchup, mustard, jerky. Uh, you know, whatever seasoning, uh, we got it for you at jrsbbq.com bbq.com. We appreciate everybody's support and business. And now on with the show. It's a it's a good day to listen to grilling Jr. with the star of the show. Conrad Thompson.
0: Oh my gosh. No, listen, come on. Everybody knows the star <laughs> is, and of course we're talking about TLC 2009 today. We just passed the, uh, 10 year anniversary for the show. It went down on December 13th from the AT&T center right there in San Antonio, We've got about 12,000 fans in attendance. The gate's around $730,000. Just to sort of catch you up where we are 10 years ago, we're coming off the Survivor Series, which saw John Cena retain the WWE title in a triple threat against both Shawn Michaels and Triple H. The Undertaker would retain the world title, also in a triple threat, this time against Chris Jericho and Big Show. And as you may recall, the TLC concept was originally from the TLC match. Of course, tables, ladders, and chairs and we would see all three kinds of matches here. You know, listen, TLC, when you go back and you look at some of the early ones with edge and Christian and the Hardys and the Dudley's, those were, you know, matches that we'll never forget. I've always been of the opinion when you sort of try to shoehorn the gimmick in to be an annual pay-per-view, it loses a little bit of its luster. What did you think of the idea of doing a whole pay-per-view called TLC?
1: Well, I've always been a man Conrad that appreciates trying to shoehorn it in, uh, quite frankly, no kidding. Uh, I'm with you on this deal. Uh, I thought that it's like saying, well, if one fillet is enough, let's just order two. So I, I thought we were went overboard in that thing. It was the Hardys, the Dudleys, Edge and Christian put on such a magical performance in their TLC matches. That everybody got the bright idea. Well, this is to be lazy booking. We'll just have a. We'll break that up. We'll have a T. We'll have an L. We'll have a C. It's so stupid. Uh, I thought it was a weak booking. I thought it was weak creative. Showed a lack of uh, overall creativity, and uh, plagiarizing off of this one great match. Leave well enough alone. It's the same concept, Conrad. as when WWE was were doing multiple Hell in a Cell matches during the year. Do one. Make it special. Make it great. But, uh, you know, that's just not the philosophy there at times. So I, 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 thought the show overall was pretty decent, but I thought that we, we, uh, we craft in the bed on the, doing the whole damn show with a T's and L's and C's it, it makes things run together. It's, it, it's hard to be unique and separate and separate, uh, performances and presentations with the same basic gimmicks used in several matches. So I just didn't, I wasn't crazy about it, but. Uh, I, I always enjoyed the TLC matches. I, the, it, was this, it was a turning point in a lot of things in wrestling uh, that those three teams did. And uh, I'm really proud that I got to call some of those because I thought they were just, they, they will hold up forever. Go back and watch the TLC matches. You, they, most of them will hold up today very easily.
0: I'm interested to hear your take on that because, you know, Bruce Pritchard has often said that he hated these types of matches, he thought they were too brutal unnecessary shorten a career. And I know you're old school too. How do you differentiate between, Hey, this is too brutal and this is entertaining. Is there a line from a, from an announcer perspective, from a head of talent relations perspective, and did the TLC matches ever cross that line?
1: I don't think they did, but they got close to it. I don't disagree with Bruce on that deal. They certainly got close to it. Uh, the over the overboard for me would be hard way blood, uh, Uh, unprotected, unprotected, uh, chair shots to the head, uh, anything to the head bad, uh, but other than that, you know, what you're seeing is you're seeing a, uh, a a plethora of big old flat back bumps. And as long as the guy's taught well, and he's fundamentally sound and you can take a flat back bump and protect yourself. Uh, I don't have as much uh, apprehension as I would at another time, in other words, if uh, any company that where he had guys that saw a TLC match and thought they could pull it off, they'd never done it, but they want to raise the bar none, nonetheless, that's, that's a mistake. So uh, I don't think it went over the line, but I think we got we could see the line from where we were standing. Uh, but again, unprotected chair shots, hard wave blood, uh, those type things uh, will make you uneasy, make you a little queasy, quite frankly, because you we know sitting at ringside what's going on. We know that this guy's hurting. We know this guy's taking a chance to have a better match. Uh, and then here's the funny thing about it. You, you do it for the fans. You do it for yourself. But you largely do it for the acceptance of the fans. And then, of course, if you have a bad match, you have a, a missed move uh, like me, misspeak occasionally, uh, then then, then, all the, then shit hits the fan. And, you know, you're, and you're, we're always standing at the bottom of the hill. we all know, Conrad, that shit rolls downhill.
0: Let's talk about something Meltzer was writing uh, as we head into this pay-per-view. There's some talk of dropping the ECW name for the Tuesday night show. The show itself may or may not change, but sci-fi is apparently upset about the falling ratings. The show itself would remain in the tame, uh, the same time slot. And this is the report directly from the observer. Uh, the show itself will remain in the, in the time slot and the show has now gotten to where it's average ratings are barely above the prime time average. So the main value of wrestling is to boost the prime time average because you can't sell the time like similarly rated shows and a one hour show doing a 0.98 on a station that averages a 0.9 isn't doing much to boost the weekly average of 28 hours in prime time. ECW is also not a good fit based on the synergy of the rest of the programming on the network. So it's not valuable there either. The value it has is that WWE has a good track record of delivering well above the average ratings for every other station it's on, except NBC and Sci Fi, and did for Sci Fi until recently. So they'll have to give it a chance. Uh, but this is uh, an interesting uh, little twist, I guess, because I think Bonnie Hammer is still overseeing Sci Fi, and Bonnie Hammer enjoyed tremendous success with Vince Once Upon a Time. What do you remember about the network potentially being upset with the performance of ECW?
1: Well, they were patient, probably more patient than a lot of companies would be thanks to the success of Monday Night Raw and Bonnie Hammer's relationship uh, with uh, with Vance. Uh, but they were probably more patient than a lot of networks would have been, quite frankly. Uh, I don't know how good a product we produced for ECW. We, we, we found out that the ECW brand had cachet to a niche audience and they were very very loyal unfortunately there just weren't many of them left by the time we got there and put on television
0: yeah it was uh it's not the same and i guess we should mention that ecw's been back on for a few years at this point you know at least the name only it does feel like it's coming to an end here do you think they should have put a bullet in this thing sooner than they really did or when did you realize well this isn't what they were hoping for
1: well, it's here's the thing: people had high expectations uh, that uh, we and the WWE at that time would be able to replicate what the uh, small roster, uh, the the ECW arena, Paul Heyman, his crew of Us Against the World guys uh, uh, created, and we weren't able to do that. Uh, and it's uh, and we shouldn't have even thought we could have because it was unrealistic. It's just hard to do uh, re- reprises and, uh, but I thought probably after giving it the good old college try and providing more work for other guys uh, and gals that we, uh, we did the best we could, but probably could have uh, stuck a fork in a little earlier. But you know, there again, if you say that, then you, you may be taking some guys and gals uh, out of some payoffs and paydays that they would be missing, obviously. So, uh, you know, I, 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 and, and realistically, yes, we should, probably should have pulled the plug a little earlier. It wasn't the same. It was never going to be the same. It was only the same in initials only. And that really wasn't enough for the ECW hardcores.
0: Let's talk about Jesse Ventura. Colin Cowherd had Jesse on just a few days after he did Monday Night Raw. And of course, Jesse is ripping WWE saying the company was a joke and still in the stone age as a business because the wrestlers don't have a union and classify wrestlers as independent contractors when they're clearly not and he, he really goes down the rabbit hole on this and he says how can you be an independent contractor when you're told when to wrestle who to wrestle and you can't wrestle for another promotion there's lots of criticism thrown around for jesse ventura but this has always been something that he was sort of known for the idea that wrestlers should unionize and of course everyone has had fun debating whether or not wrestlers. Truly, were independent contractors. You and I have never talked about it. Let's say you.
1: It's a uh, passe now. It's archaic. <clears throat> There's no reason, uh, in my view, and I, I, look, I'm not an accountant. I'm not the top administrator with any company, but it seems to me like it's somewhat ridiculous to perceive that uh, these men and women are independent contractors. Look, I've I've disagreed with Jesse philosophically. On, on many points over the years, uh, I've never knocked his ability to broadcast or his talent or his charisma, but he's got us. He's got a very unique point of view on a lot of topics. And, uh, I, I think he makes some very valid points here. Uh, to, uh, to me, it, what an independent contractor is not being described in this, in these restaurant contracts. So I'm not a big fan, <clears throat> pardon me, of the independent contractor mantra. Uh, There's money there now in a lot of companies where talents could be employees. Look, it's all about the money, Conrad. There's no other reason that we could think of why these men and women are not employees and given the benefits that employees should deserve and earn. Right. There's no reason. Uh, But it's all about the cash. It saves companies a few bucks here and there. And I say, uh, you say the bucks in another place, another area of your business and boost your care for the talent. Look, the talents, the most important thing that a wrestling company has the most important asset, talent and television. If you don't have great talent to package with a good TV, your SOL. And, uh, which means kids shit out of luck. So I, I, I think that he makes some very valid points. And again, it comes back to the whole deal. It's a, it's a, it's it's, it's done that it's do it. It's been done that way. So let's not change anything. Why not? Why not change things for the better? All change isn't bad. So I'm, I'm a big believer that the, the talents should come first in all companies and where a company can afford to make them employees because don't, I don't want to hear the old well, if they get hurt in the ring, we pay for it. Well, if they oh, come on, just, you, just cover your ass again and again and again. Wrestlers deserve better in all companies that can afford benefits, and the big companies can't afford benefits, and that would include Ring of Honor. Well, we're small bullshit. You're owned by Sinclair Broadcasting. You got money out the ass. Spend some of it on your talents. Why not? WWE, same thing. We've been saying this for years, and then of course, I'm, and AEW, I'm not gonna leave them out either. Their guys are independent contractors. We should all take a long look going forward. And maybe 2000 will be the year that it happens where wrestlers become more than independent contractors.
0: Let's, uh, let's talk about one of those famous stories in wrestling. Uh, this is directly from the observer. Um, Ventura had attempted to get the wrestlers to unionize in 1986. And the idea was they would agree not to perform at WrestleMania two at the last minute, unless Vince signed to recognize the union. However, Vince was able to break the movement before the show, and when Ventura's lawyers asked Vince how he found out, Vince said under oath that Hogan was the one feeding him the information. Hogan, of course, claims otherwise, but that's the reason for the long-standing hatred between Ventura and Hogan. Did you ever hear that story before that that he was trying to pull a fast one for WrestleMania two, and and Hogan helped put a stop to it?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was Jesse's deal. His sensationalism and. You know, he didn't he, Jesse at that time knew enough about unions and politics to be dangerous. Now there, after that, he gained more knowledge and, and, and uh, was elected governor of Minnesota thought about, you know, the presidential run was always a, a topic, uh, and look, based on what we're seeing today in the white house, you know, Ventura may have been an upgrade. Who knows that's just opinion, but I, uh, yeah, I heard this story, but the talents Look, I asked Bill Watts one time in the mid eighties. Uh, I said, do you think that there'll ever be a union in wrestling? And he said, he laughed, he laughed at my face. He said, hell no, because wrestlers can't even agree wh- where to go to lunch together, much less how to handle their money and their union. Or, and well, do you think they'd pay their dues? Do you think they'd pick one of their own to be the head of the union when nobody trusts anybody? it's never going to happen and i'm telling you right now based on what i see today in today's world there's never going to be a wrestlers union dream on it's just not going to happen and i'm not saying it's a bad thing to have one but on that basic old principle that cowboys told me back 30 years ago or more uh, that hell they can't we, we can't even we can't even agree on where to have a burger no i don't want to go there i want to go there i'll just go there that was uh same deal we we and i experienced that I got the elbow on the side of the table when we were having lunch. with those from all those promoters that time, when we talked, when somebody was talking about, uh, uh murdering Vince, uh, what, what they were having for, for lunch that day. So it was like, you know, we couldn't have a buffet, a buffet is the only way to go because it gives them more selections because nobody's going to be happy. with What's ordered by one other guy. It's a, it's a damnedest society and community you'll ever see.
0: Let's talk about somebody who's been a part of that society for a long time. Meltzer would write, while this is not official, it is believed that Gerald Briscoe won't be returning as an agent and will be helping at developmental where his son, Wes wrestles. Part of this is health concerns because of his age and health. It's felt going on the road between the travel and all the issues is a pressure cooker job. It had been recommended that Briscoe could be used as a talent scout to scout independent wrestling in places like NCAA wrestling tournaments to find new talent. What can you tell us Jerry was doing, you know, in this era and, uh, were you happy to see him sort of move into part-time?
1: Absolutely. I, uh, I was always for that. Jerry, Jerry Briscoe is one of the more tremendous unsung heroes in the annals of WWE and their growth from a troubled, uh, privately owned company into a, uh, mega money public traded company because of the talent roster that we started beefing up, you know, that was, I knew that my mandate from Vince was to get younger and more athletic and find some stars. That was my, that was my, uh, my mantra, my walk. That's my marching orders. And I knew that to get to that point, we had to get people in the field, looking at talents, uh, that were objective and had product knowledge and understood how to evaluate an athlete as a human being. Are we bringing a piece of shit in the locker room just because he looks good in eight by 10, or are we bringing a good human being that has a great work ethic and wants to be part of a winning team? And Jerry had that, all those things. He's a great amateur at Oklahoma state, you know, uh, and I, of course I was close to it cause we're Oakies and we hung, we hung out together, but I knew one, well, I could trust Jerry. I believed in his judgment and I believed in the, his ability to scout and, 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 uh, identify great talent. So Jerry got the perfect role. And I can, I'm sure if you ask him today, he's still doing the same job. He's still doing the same job today that, that we're talking about right now, back in, uh, uh, in in what was 2008? Nine, yeah. Nine. So, you know, uh, he he's perfect for that role. So I was very happy he got there. Uh, he's been a major difference maker. You know, we would never assign Brock Lesnar if Jerry had not babysat that for two years. And the fact that Jerry's uh, high school or excuse me, college teammate, Jay Robinson was also Brock's head coach at the university of Minnesota. So Jerry's, uh, uh, advancement, the way I looked at it into that area was, was key and it was as important a move. That was an, as important an assignment assignment as any talent we signed. Cause look at the people that we signed under our watch and they're dotted in the hall of fame. They're rich, they're famous. And they've helped this company establish their, uh, their, their, their persona, their identity. So uh, Jerry was Jerry's a big hit. And I, I'll never be able to thank him enough for all he did for me as an administrator. And the fans should never be able to thank him enough for all the great talents that he helped bring to our attention and helped recruit.
0: It really is remarkable how big of a role he's always played behind the scenes. Something that really stuck out to me here, though, is that 10 years ago, his son, Wes was a part of developmental and we never really saw him do much with WWE, we've seen him pop up here and there and other places. But why don't you think we see more from West Briscoe?
1: I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, he's a great athlete. He was a good amateur, but boy, his, his dad and his uncle, Jack Briscoe cast long shadows. And sometimes it's very, very challenging for an athlete to step away from a, uh, uh, a, a, a shadow that. That's strong, that prominent. Uh, but you know, I don't know what is, I don't, you know, I was never around West that much, even though we have in our program, I stayed away from that because of my relationship with his dad, right? I didn't want, don't want there to be any confusion that oh, He's getting a, he's getting a break because JR likes his dad. That would not help J, uh, Wes at all. So I don't really have a great answer for you. Conrad, I any mean, athletically he's, he's, a good athlete still is. Uh, it may just be the old it factor. Hell, I don't know. But it just never clicked for Wes. And, uh, and I don't know if it will, you know, but he's, he's a very solid hand. He's learned his skills well, but for whatever reason, he just hasn't been able to be recognized by the right people to get the right place.
0: Well, I hope he pops up somewhere, you know, between NWA and new Japan and MLW and AEW, I mean,
1: absolutely. There's There's places he can work if people will give him a chance, but, uh, we'll see how creative the bookers are on, on some of these things, uh, you could He can have good matches, just about anybody on your roster, the way I look at it. So, uh, we'll see. Hell, he may end up at AEW. You never know. You never know about this damn thing. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about...
0: Uh I say unfortunately because we lost him on December fourth. Edward Fatu is his real name. He passes away in Houston just two days after suffering a massive heart attack and only thirty-six years old. Obviously a very successful career within WWE, you know, coming in as part of three minute warning, um, Jamal and uh he'd be with his cousin Matt, who is Roman Reigns' brother. He's eventually repackaged as Umaga. We saw him win the IC title a couple of times. He's, he's the actual main event of WrestleMania 23, the battle of the billionaires, uh, that show does a record 1.2 million buys on pay-per-view. And now to see just, you know, not terribly long after that, he's no longer with us. This had to be shocking news. Shocking.
1: Uh, loved Eddie. Eddie had of all the, uh, of all the Samoan lineage wrestlers excluding Dwayne Johnson. Uh, there've been so many great ones, but Eddie was at, was right there at the top of that list. It would have been at the end of this run as good a Samoan wrestler as I've ever seen. He's so big and athletic. There's a difference of being big and there's a difference of being athletic when you can bring those two combinations together, big and athletic, uh, and, and charisma. Uh, you got something growing up in that family with that DNA running through his veins, he had great aptitude for the profession. Uh, but you know, as we have seen and so many times, a lot of times these guys didn't take care of themselves. They didn't eat right. They got too heavy. Uh, uh, you know, just did they get their, their blood work done as often as they should, all all those things. Uh, there were the checks and balances all in place medically to make sure that issues like this didn't occur again, because I'm assuming, I'm just saying, I don't know this, but I'm assuming that if Eddie had had the appropriate medical, uh, he had taken care of himself better and got all his medical work done and paid attention to his health more that, uh, some of these issues could have been avoided quite frankly, but it was a shock to me because he's big and strong and smiling and just a wonderful guy. But I always thought he was on his way to becoming the best, uh, big man that I had ever seen. And that includes the, the Vader's and the Bigelow's and, and all these cats that were monsters that could move around. He was just a very, very special. So it was really a heartbreaking thing. Young kids, you know, it, young family. Uh, I it just, it was sad. And, uh, he had just he'd bought a, they bought a house a nice home in Houston. He was living a good life, but, uh, you know, the, the self-discipline and how you address your health every day. We talked with us this show, Conrad, none of us should take our damn health for granted, man. I don't, I'm Hey, I'm in the back nine here, pal. I'm watching everything I do as best I can. Cause I don't want to end up that way where I, they find me dead in my chair.
0: No, nobody wants that. Um, so that's a sad uh, story about Phi too. I'm sure we'll talk about some good memories another time, but let's talk about, uh, well, an interesting little thing that's happening in wrestling. Linda McMahon is running for the Republican nomination for the U S Senate in Connecticut. She's going to be, uh, head to head with Rob Simmons here. At least that's what it looks like. A lot of other folks are sort of dropping out and it's come to to light here that Linda has confirmed publicly that she's budgeted $50 million to win the race. I mean, that's just unbelievable to me. $50 million. Politico.com is going to uh, go on a little bit of a, a hit parade here. And interview a number of former wrestlers who aren't on good terms with WWE to get them to fire off some negative quotes about Linda. They would get China, Bruno, Zabisco, Mark Miro and Billy Graham. Uh, of course the report from the observer is none were quoted as saying much more than they wouldn't vote for her. Seriously, getting wrestlers from out of state who haven't followed the campaign to talk about it really not going to amount to much, right? what do you think of? The approach for, you know, opposition and people who maybe weren't friends of the McMahon's to go to the wrestlers and get quotes. And what did you think when you heard, hey, we've budgeted fifty million dollars for this effort?
1: Well, I would uh in hindsight, I probably would not have talked about the fifty million dollar deal because I think it turned a lot of people off. Yep. I thought it fostered what their the perception of, of her that they wanted to exist anyway. Was uh, helped along by that uh, press release that, that Linda was going to spend 50 million to, to on her campaign. So, and, I, and when you say I'm going to spend 50 million to win the race, the defiance in in, in politics, much like we see sometimes on Twitter and other social media on pro wrestling today, is silly. It really is. People really had rather bitch and moan than to compliment and, and give somebody an attaboy or good job in real life in all phases of life. But it seems like that the, the political, uh, journalists are pathetic, especially today, this side of the aisle, that side of the aisle, you know, my opinion on that, I, I don't trust any of the son of a bitches. The day of the, the day of the public servant is essentially over the day of the professional politician is it well in place. And I just thought that, uh, she fed into that a little bit on that deal. Uh, but here's the thing. It was so stupid. You get wrestlers. Hey, when you're paid on a, uh, you know, a, 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 a discretionary s- a system, nobody's ever going to be happy with the way they're paid. Now, maybe they are now in WWE because most of those guys are seemingly essentially on salary. So they know what they're going to pay. And maybe that's a good thing. I don't have a problem with that at all. I just think there's got to be a, a, a level above that and maybe there is probably I'm sure there's got to be right. That if you do better and the, and, and the houses are better and the pay-per-views are more productive, that you get a little bit of extra, you know, cheese on your whopper. So uh, I, I, uh, but those guys are, you know, they're going to have shit to say and they don't even vote. They're not even voters. It's to stir the shit to create controversy. And I know our friend, Eric says controversy creates cash. Don't disagree with that at all, but God damn, man, you gotta you gotta let me up on some of this stuff. not you, but you know, in general. So I, I, uh, I and I thought that Linda, be honest with you. I thought she would have made a phenomenal, uh, uh, Congress Congress or Senator or whatever uh, representing Connecticut. Linda McMahon is a good woman and she's got a, she's highly intelligent. She's a Southern girl from East from. You know, graduate of East Carolina, North Carolina girl. I, I love My wife loved Linda McMahon and my wife had a good judge of character and she loved her with her, with all her heart. And I, and I, and I, I just think the world of her and I still do, quite frankly, she would have been a great choice, but because of the, what we all have been a, uh, accused of Conrad, we're wrestling fans, right. she was in the wrestling business, people don't like fucking pro wrestling. They're going to jump on her shit. That's all that was. That's all it was. How do you not? She didn't run the company. Vince ran the company and the, and her area that she worked in was always phenomenal. So I don't know, man. I just think it was a bias against pro wrestling. And when I got a, it, when I got to encounter people that, that have bias in our business, I don't, I don't like it. I like to just separate my, I want to start the conversation, get away from them and don't enter inter, inter, interact with them again. We all have lived through That's like being the goddamn, you know, being shamed. I was, I was kidding for years about being too fat when I was in fourth, fifth, sixth grade, it was terrible bullying. That's all this is it's bullying. So I, I, I didn't appreciate it very much. And I thought they made a very misrepresentation of, of her character in that, uh, in that matter. And the guys that talked, they talked to her are the same, you know, it, are basically the same ones you expect. And thank God Bruno came back around and understood what was going on and, and was, uh, and was forgiving. If that's a good word, but some of these other cats, are the normal suspects, they're going to bitch about them being wrong. And guess what? You know why Conrad? Because it didn't say their goddamn money. They didn't pay their taxes on time. Many of them. Their best, they should look in the mirror. Instead of worrying about the promotion. I didn't get my push, but I got my push. I was promised to push. What the fuck is a push? What do you have to do with a push? What does a wrestler have to do with a push? Everything. Well, the office, or the office, No, what you are, you're a puss. And you got no character. Look in the mirror and say, I'm sorry, self. I screwed this up. I'd like to have another chance.
0: Uh, Let's talk about Mickey James. She recently signed a a recording contract with Kent Wells, who had worked with you know, stars like Dolly Parton, she's trying to, uh, make her way in music here. Uh, again, this is 10 years ago. She's 30 years old here. Mickey James is somebody who's been uh, a pretty, pretty well, constantly established character in wrestling for a long time. And she's always dabbled with music. Why don't you think Vince sort of put the machine behind her music to really make a run?
1: Well, I'm assuming, and only an assumption that he, that she did not uh, flip his switch like some of the other divas did. You know there were some issues at her one time about you know allegedly she needed to lose weight and all these things. And look, I want to tell you something. Uh, there's a few unsung heroes of the divas that I signed or we signed uh, that uh, don't get the credit that they deserve, and that would include uh, Mickey James by far. She's a Hall of Famer. Uh, she's a hell of a hand. The reason you keep Mickey James, James types around is because they can have great matches or better, the best matches that some of your green women can, cannot have working with each other. Mickey's that stable thing and her and women like Jackie Moore, Jackie Moore is as good as anybody we ever signed. Anybody is, nobody was any better than Jackie Moore in the ring. And for all the great success that Alita and a Trish had and became major stars, Uh, still popular on the autograph circuit. Uh, you got to look back and say, add a girl, Mickey James, add a girl, Jackie Moore, add a girl, Ivory. Uh, there were several of those women that didn't get the accolades that they probably should have deserved. I'm just thinking that Mickey probably wasn't uh, Vince's, uh, you know, his cup of tea maybe, but, uh, I thought she was just phenomenal. I still do. They're lucky they have her, uh, and she's still singing. She's got a beautiful singing voice. She's got a beautiful son. Her husband's the NWA champion. I got a lot of time for Mickey James and her family, and I just think that she's a a classic. She's definitely a Hall of Famer, and she's one of the few people that if they get inducted into the Hall of Fame that I would venture back into those waters to go see her get inducted. I just have so much love and respect for Mickey because what she's gone through and battled through the little country girl that could. Oh, she she just trying to live her dreams. And anybody that can't uh, can't appreciate others trying to live their dreams can kiss my ass, my dimple fat Oklahoma ass. Kiss it.
0: Uh, let's talk about that for a minute. You got me down the rabbit hole when you said you know maybe she wasn't Vince's cup of tea. How much do you think the the push of the divas is, or maybe even not just divas, the quote unquote push of of Vince McMahon and his endorsement it hinges on whether or not he thinks you're attractive a lot, because she's like a casting director.
1: That's not unlike anything in Hollywood. It's not that Vince has got this, this, uh, his arms wrapped around this bad premise. It's that way in all areas of entertainment where you're going to be seen on television or in, on the screen of, in, of any kind. So I don't think it's a, it's unusual, but he certainly, and he, hey, he, he feels the same way about male talent. If he doesn't think he got something, uh, you know, I think that's why Christian didn't get a, the push that he could have gotten in WWE after he, after he and Edge qu- broke up, Vince didn't think Christian, in my view, but only one opinion, that's all didn't have the typical big star look. And thankfully uh, Christian's now working for Fox doing the Tuesday night thing with Renee and Booker T and they do a nice job and a fun show. CM punks there from time to time. I don't know where you're supposed to talk about. They can talk about anything we want to start show. Right. So, sure. uh, yeah, so I, I, I did, it, uh, this uh, had the eye for talent and when he saw somebody that he, 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 he would have had no problem anointing them, uh, or making sure the contract's this, or let's take care of this person or, or whatever. Uh, he, it was big. If, if he didn't think he had the sex appeal, uh, then, uh, at the end of the day, you probably aren't going to make it if you didn't think you had natural, organic sex appeal and had it, the it factor. You probably weren't going to make it in, uh, in the WWE. And quite frankly, again, in Vince's defense, the same thing held true for the guys, I mentioned the Christian as an example. Christian was a hell of a worker still is. He wanted to, but when he was with edge edge was, was special, still is special and Christian felt, felt that Robert Gibson role. You know, Ricky was the charismatic one. Was Ricky, and that was Edge, and the 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 rudder in the water, and the fundamentally sound guy, and the comeback guy, or the sales guy was was uh, was Robert Gibson. So that's kind of how I look at that thing. You know, so it was it was there's an issue there, but but it's not an unusual issue, and it's not uh, it's not exclusive to WWE or any other uh, uh, oriented wrestling thing. It's it's that way in all forms of entertainment. You know, and I'm not saying he's the Harvey Weinstein things going on here at all. I'm just saying that Vince knew what he liked. He knew what he thought would sell and hell is his, is his team it's, he's the executive for, he's everything. So that was his deal.
0: Let's talk a little bit about something that was a big deal at the time. And I'm sure even more so behind the scenes, I'm talking about Shane McMahon. Meltzer would write regarding Shane McMahon, even though his resignation is effective at the first of the year. He has not been working at the company since resigning. It's been said that the morale, as far as the workers in the office has been the lowest anyone can remember. Linda McMahon was described as being a wonderful boss to work for. And Shane McMahon was also well-liked by those in his department, but the same isn't said about those who work and worked for Stephanie. Vince is extremely well respected, obviously, but his mood swings and changing his mind so often have made it very difficult to work for him. And virtually everyone who has worked directly with him after being let go have remarked that they would never want to go back. One person close to him has said that his leaving had to do with him being 40 years old and wealthy and that he was passed over for power and that he was tired of being humiliated publicly by his father. So Shane leaving the company is something a lot of people probably never called. You were there from the beginning. Did you ever get the vibe that this was going to shake out and he would be, uh, the odd man out?
1: I never thought Shane would leave, but I also never thought that Shane was going to be the heir apparent. And I think at some point around this time is where Shane realized that, uh, Vince was going to go another direction, uh, as uh, his successor. And that wasn't even his daughter. It was triple H. Paul Levesque was going to be the guy, he still is going to be the guy. So, uh, but I didn't know that, that drastic times would take these drastic measures whereby Shane would be leaving, uh, his birthright, be leaving the family company to go out on his own. I think at the end of the day, folks, all Shane McMahon wanted to do was make his dad proud in the family business. And it seemed in Shane's view that that opportunity was never going to exist.
0: Did you have a conversation with Shane? I mean, does, does he come, do you know ahead of time before it's made public that he's thinking about easing out? Does it, he, came, he,
1: he came to my office and we talked and cause we were friends and, and he understood my, I had some of those same, uh, uh, trepidations. I, I, I got tired of the, some of those things that he was experiencing. Uh, this took it as a part, but I wasn't, I wasn't, against the son. I wasn't, I wasn't in the hunt or the discussion to be in that, uh, uh, hierarchy, which I was fine with me, I was making plenty of money and I was, I had my gig and I was happy with it. But Shane had his whole different ball game than anybody else could experience. The only son of Vince McMahon felt like he wasn't going to be able to succeed his father and because, and that's what he wanted to do. Uh, and Vince told me one time, you know, he loves, he loves Vince loved both his kids, still does great grand grandchildren, you know, Stephanie's got all girls. shay has got all boys. It's a great, great situation. But the bottom line is, is that, you know, Vince told me one time that, you know, uh, the girl of Stephanie, the girl's got more is more like me than the boy. And I don't know how he got the conversation, but Vince always saw Stephanie had that eye of the tiger, very aggressive, sometimes hyper aggressive in the eyes of some, I'm sure. Uh, but, uh, but, th- but that's what he wanted. He wanted. He wanted controversy. He wanted strong leadership. He wanted uh, impactful players in that role to be, and and he thought that Stephanie had more of Vince's personality than did Shane, and Shane was more like Linda, as as we just you mentioned a moment ago. And I don't think that either of those are wrong, but I I felt badly for Shane and how he left, and you know, and and uh, tried to go out on his own and do his thing, and and then he came back. He's came back lately, and I don't, you know, I don't know where he is now. I. I know he was on an episode of CSI the other day. I thought he did a good job. Uh, but nonetheless, I don't know what his future is there, but knowing him and his family, they're going to be just fine.
0: What do you think about, uh, the way it was sort of broken down, what it was like working for each McMahon, Linda being described as a wonderful boss to work for Shane being described as well, liked by those in his department. People Mm -hmm. not saying the same about Stephanie we we've we've beat up what it's like working for Vince McMahon. What about Stephanie?
1: Well, she was I didn't have any I've never had any real serious issues with Stephanie, quite honestly. Uh you know, we we've had a couple of little miss uh uh dis, disagreements. Uh and uh you know, I got called the principal's Vince's office with her and Vince because I happen to mention I said something. You know, we the southern people have a we don't have the best Addiction sometimes the best we don't utilize our vocabulary sometimes as uh, good as we, we should, perhaps. Uh, I called, I was on, on Coach was a heel work with Lawler and me and, uh, you know, because was that, un, un none, never ending test to replace Jr. Uh, and younger, 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 uh, more diversity, diversity, cool. Hey, I'm a native American and that's kind of diverse, right? Uh, so, um, I, uh, I called coach in the in in heat of battle. I said, boy, let me tell you something. Now they call him boy. It's just where boys comma boy. Let me tell you something. And all of a sudden somebody heard it. And I got called in Vince's office by Stephanie and Vince for, for, uh, making a, what was perceived to be a racial overtone. Which is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my fucking life. And coach had—I think coach was in that meeting too. So I had apologized to coach for offending him if I did, and I—but I made sure to said what's part of my problem. Good old JR sometimes can't keep his goddamn mouth shut. I said you're making a mistake. This is bullshit, and you guys know it's bullshit. Nobody said nothing. They knew I was right. They knew I wasn't racist. I didn't know I didn't dislike coach. I don't still don't dislike coach. Why would I dislike coach for God's sakes? He's harmless. So that was that deal. I, and that was just, she was flexing her muscle in front of her dad to show him how she would handle a tenured, uh, experienced, uh, employee. And, and so I didn't agree with any of that. Still don't, it's still untrue, still bullshit. But it's not the grounds for bullshit that I'm going to carry with me for the rest of my life and have, a, I have an issue with her. I don't have an issue with Stephanie. None. She was, I understood what she was trying to do. God damn, how many times did I try to impress my dad? How many times did I try to impress his ass? And I fell short more often than not Till finally one day in my entire life, he told me he loved me. One time. One time. So there's who we were. So I didn't have bad feelings about her then or now, but she was challenging because she, she was trying to manage like she perceived Vince would manage. And I think now from what I hear, she's managing more, she's more comfortable in her own skin. She knows her role there. She's got a big position there in WWE. And I think that she's probably not as heavy handed as she once was because she knows that's not the way you motivate talent in today's world.
0: Well, let's talk about somebody who's motivated to come back. I can't believe this is real. Meltzer would write, according to a WWE source who would have full knowledge of the situation, Bret Hart 52 signed a short-term talent contract with WWE this past week, covering a period from January 1st to April 10th or through WrestleMania and about two weeks after the March 28th show at the university of Phoenix stadium in Glendale, Arizona. Hart simply told us he wasn't going to lie about anything and thus wasn't going to say anything about the story. This is pretty remarkable. I don't think a lot of people after the whole Brett screwed Brett's scenario in 1997 went down. Anybody thought this would ever happen, but somehow it does. 12 years later, what do you remember about, uh, Brett Hart coming back into the fold here?
1: Very happy. I was happy. Uh, anytime you can spend quality time with Brett Hart, you're better off for it. And that, if that goes for his friends, like me, it certainly is uh, doubly, uh, effective for talents because he is a great, I'm, I'm shocked. And maybe it's just, he doesn't, he's not interested. I'm shocked that somebody isn't using Brett to help coach, teach, motivate younger talents. Uh, he, he was taught the right way. He he's, he's brilliant, brilliant mind, uh, great, great worker. One of the best I ever saw in my entire life, so I was happy he's coming back for a variety of reasons, but not at the top of the list is the fact that he's going to start wrestling again. Uh, I just he, him having Bret Hart back on the team to me be like having Brett Farr back at the Packers, just hanging around and helping the talent.
0: Pretty remarkable that that it comes together, and and he makes the debut on the January fourth Raw, the same night that TNA would make their debut on Monday night. How much of this Brett acquisition was because Vince felt even a little bit of competitive juices flowing based on TNA moving to Monday?
1: Well, it, it, it might have had something to do with it. You know, who would have vision that Vince's reaction to uh, AEW on Wednesday nights was a precipitated and created a need to put uh, NXT from their own network back to back on uh, put it on USA. I never thought that he would go that far. It's a good strategic move. Uh, it's got a lot of people watching wrestling on Wednesday nights. No doubt about that. Uh, and there's in the so-called Wednesday night war, uh, cause God knows we kind of relived what was, old is new again. Right? So the attitude era was all on Mondays. now we got Wednesdays, big war, big war folks. You gotta Tune in, strike your mind, big war, knock everything that's going on. It's what we do now. Uh, but you know, I. I don't know. I, I, I just, Brett, I mean, Shane was, I mean, Brett was a, uh, he was such a part of the fabric of the company and it seemed like it righted a lot of wrongs when to get his Jersey back. So I was happy that he came back, but, uh,
0: but you don't think much of it was, was
1: TNA or you think, I don't, I don't think so, I, Hey, look, maybe, maybe, but I think getting Brett back in for the sake of the brand, our brand. Sure. At that time was the, where the money was, you know, be honest with you. And it's going to piss some people off battling TNA. It's like they had knives. We had guns. Sure. And they were never going to win the fight. So that's kind of where I look at that deal. So I could have had an influence. I'm sure it could have. Yeah. Could have. Yes, it could have. At at the same time. Probably not.
0: Don't you think, don't you think Vince McMahon's attitude, the one you just laid out for the WWE attitude towards the TNA rivalry, quote unquote, he's got to view AEW the same way. I mean, even you yourself say, well, I mean, we're not trying to compete with Vince. We don't think we're going to put Vince out of business. That's not our goal. Our goal is to, you know, in, create a product that's profitable and, and, enjoy, and enjoy, you know, ourselves and, and make some money doing it. And mm-hmm. I mean, that's the reason everybody should be in business. Yep. But don't you think that that Vince views AEW as well? They've got knives. I've got guns. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Uh, he, I'm sure it is the mind's eye, hence somebody saying it's a marathon, not a sprint, sure. uh, blah, 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 uh, all those things. It's just basically saying th- they will run out of gas. They will run out of fuel and we're going to be, and we we'll, and who's going to be less standing WWE. Well, first of all, WWE is always going to be standing, uh, unless they really stop listening to their audience altogether. Uh, creatively and don't make some changes to freshen things up like every company must do. So it's not me knocking the goddamn WWE folks. So tweet what you want. I'm not knocking them. We all have to do this. We all have to be better every week or we're not going to make it. We have to be better every week or we're not going to make it. Is that clear enough for everybody? And that includes WWE, it includes AEW, it includes everybody. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that, uh, I, I just think that, uh, you know, Brett was such a part of this thing. And I think that was big and what's getting Brett back was a whole lot bigger than battling TNA, but there's no doubt in my mind that, uh, Vince has, uh, seen that AEW with some of his players that he helped mold, including Jericho and Moxley and myself among others, uh, were, are, are we got more steam than he thought. And the other thing about somebody said, i, I might have mentioned this on another show. Uh, you know, Vince is worth about two billion and change. Very uh, much uh, tied to his core business, and not a lot of other uh, diversity. Uh, Mr. Khan is very diversified, very diversified. Not just the Jaguars and the Fulham Football Club in England, but uh, manufacturing plants, hotels, real estate, and he's worth 8.2 billion. I'll take my 8.2 billion dollar guy. Uh, running out of money after the guy that has $2.2 Just do the math, folks. Just do the math.
0: Let's keep it moving here, and let's talk about you. Uh, Wade Keller would write, WWE announcer Jim Ross says if he returns to the announced position in 2010, it might not be for the SmackDown brand. Ross's suggestion could open the door for him to return to Raw or be moved to ECW. Quote: Some think it is an automatic that when, if I return to WWE that I'm automatically going to be back on the SmackDown announced team, I wouldn't say it's an automatic call at all. And he also said that you will uh, wait for the quote unquote issues to play out as WWE tries to find the right combination for the raw SmackDown and ECW announced teams, Matt Stryker was shifted from ECW to SmackDown and WWE called up Byron Saxton from developmental to call ECW after J.R. left his position on SmackDown, following a Bell's palsy attack. So chat me up. What were you thinking? Is this something you were thinking? Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to come back, but I'd like to get back on roll.
1: Well, Conrad, I had my third bout of Bell's palsy right after, right before this, right? Third bout. I didn't know where my health was going to be. We were still trying to figure out what causes Bell's palsy. Uh, and. They still don't know there's no known cause there's no known cure. And I, my biggest priority was my health as it should be for all of us. It wasn't who's going to call raw right? or who's, gonna, you know, come on bullshit. So I, uh, yeah, I, 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 I and I wasn't crazy about the product that I wasn't crazy about how I was treated. I wasn't crazy about being lied to and put on SmackDown in 2008 as it were, uh, I was unhappy. And maybe I was, maybe I was too challenging to make happy. Maybe I was just a giant corporate pain in the ass who thought his way was always better than the company's way. And that may be true. I will admit I was not the easiest son bitch in the world to manage at times because I felt like I had adequate product knowledge as adequate as anybody in the company as, and I know that sounds egocentric as hell, but when you've been a fan all your life. And you get in the business when you're 22 years old, and you get all these great mentors, these amazing experiences, and you pay their dues in a variety of ways. I didn't need to be told what to say by some kid that's just got out of college or is walking around with a smirky-ass smile on their face because we got you. So I, I didn't know what was going to happen there at the end. Uh, I was, I wanted to get my health better, but I, but I thought my maybe my smile will come back or Some of these things. I made it very tough for myself with my attitude. I was in a state of depression. I didn't feel good. Uh, The migraine headaches are killing me. Uh, Not being able to smile, drooling. You know, when somebody looks at you and you're sitting on a plane and you realize you're drooling, it's fucking embarrassing. So at that time, I didn't give a shit what show I called. It didn't matter. I knew I could do it. I knew I could do it as well as anybody they could hire. If not better, that's my opinion and my story. I'm sticking to it, but hell fire, man. I just want to get well. I want to get healthy. I want to find out what's wrong with me. Why are we doing it? Why is this happening? So, uh, you know, I didn't know what was the, the future of health, but thank God, Jan and I had saved our money and Vince taking great, good care of me on the stock. So it, I was good. I had no debt and, uh, to, to speak of. So I was fine, but I wanted my health was my biggest concern. And I know some people have a hard time believing that, but it's, it's actually the truth.
0: Let's talk about something that may or may not be the truth. Wade Keller is going to address the recent dip in WWE pay-per-views. Well, he's going to share the WWE excuse. Uh, WWE hasn't used the explanation before in any recent quarterly conference calls with investors trying to explain to investors why pay-per-views have declined in Oh nine compared to Oh eight and oh seven. And here's the quote. One of the things that we've seen is that the number of people watching is going up. There may be one person ordering and three families coming over to watch it. WWE's product in general is a communal experience, said marketing executive Michelle Wilson in an interview with adage.com. So one of the things we're looking at in 2010 is one pay-per-view per per month. So people won't have to decide whether they want two pay-per-views in a single month. People do make those hard decisions in a down economy, and Wilson doesn't acknowledge that you guys had increased your pay per view price five dollars to a base price of forty four ninety five to recoup some of that lost revenue from dropping pay per view events. So we're going up five dollars and pay per views are down, and the official story is well, three families are watching for every one house now.
1: Well, the, the, I, mean, I appreciate Wade's, uh, take is nothing wrong with it. I don't know if it's, it's, I think there are more issues than that. I always go back. to The biggest issue is, uh, star power. Who's hot. Who's hot. You're coming off Austin and rock. How do you follow that? Right. Were you prepared to follow that? Did you have creative in place to follow that? Did you think those days would never end my friend? It was a, it was a bad management on our, on our side, uh, guys that we were counting on to get over big time did not. They eventually got over uh, better, but you know, we, we were, we we're counting too much on John Cena to carry the, to pull the entire wagon that Austin and rock were pulling together along with uh, a younger triple H and a returning Shawn Michaels and a vintage undertaker and a surprisingly successful Mick Foley, et cetera, et cetera, where are those guys? And how are they reinvented? How are they improved, enhanced? I see triple H and Sean were basically, they were so good that they were doing the same things and and maybe that should have been reevaluated. I don't know, but we didn't have the start. It's all about the attractions. Pay-per-views have this in common folks in every company. It's their only event that's going to sell on its name only is WrestleMania. Every other pay-per-view in the business today. Has to be attraction driven. So I'm simply said, albeit the talent worked their asses off and they were giving the great effort, which you love, we didn't have anybody over to the level that Austin and Rock were. And therefore, our audience felt like they were buying a less than product at times. So I think that's the reason. It's attraction driven. Pay per views do well when attractions are hot. And they're in a, in a, and they're on top.
0: Well, let's talk about, uh, the actual show. We're finally here. Um, TLC 2009, December 13th. Let's talk about the announced team. It's Michael Cole, Jerry Lawler, and Matt Stryker. And Meltzer says these guys don't jail at all. Quote, Stryker in one year has gone from being one of the best announcers in the business to one of the worst. He seems to have fallen victim to the peer pressure regarding it's uncool to do research or care. So instead he just spouts things out. We'll come back to that for a minute. What did you think of the Michael Cole, Jerry Lawler, Matt Stryker combination?
1: Don't remember a lot about it. To be honest with you. Uh, you know, uh, it's three man teams are hard to, to navigate at times. You know, I think Tony Schiavone and Excalibur and I do a, a decent job and getting better at it. We have a lot of work to do on Wednesday night, so we're we're damn sure trying to be the best team in wrestling. That's our goal. Right. Uh, but three-man teams are hard, especially when you throw you throw uh, a striker into the mix, new, and you got no net. You're live TV, in other words. There's no redos. Uh, it's challenging. But I they didn't have time to get good. They didn't have they didn't have enough reps to get good. So wh- how anybody would have thought that. You know uh, uh, that that combination is going to be seamless is somewhat naive. So, but I didn't hate it. You know, I hated the fact I wasn't on the team. I can hate. I can. I can admit that freely. But it it didn't overwhelm me. But it, it was the reason I would have thought the broadcast was bad or good. But they 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 just weren't given the opportunity to come together, and and so that was pretty obvious.
0: What do you think about, uh, Matt strikers classification here by Dave Meltzer that he's gone from being one of the best to one of the worst. And I guess there is some peer pressure, at least in Meltzer's mind, that it's sort of not perceived as being cool within the WWE subculture and Mm -hmm. an ecosystem to be well researched or prepared. It's, it's more of the old school. Let's just call it in the ring.
1: You mean like I used to do it, uh, be prepared and, and do some due diligence. Uh, I get, I got bullshit on that all time too. I didn't give a shit. You're not doing this job. I'm doing it. And I guarantee you, if they thought you could do it better than me, my ass would be gone in a heartbeat because they want to get me out of there dr- Drastically dynamite my ass out of that seat. Uh, so I, I, you know, heck, I don't know. I, Matt, Matt, Matt's got his own style, but I could understand it wasn't fair to him that he was being made fun of like a, he was a wrestling nerd. Because he, he wanted to prepare and do a good job. Yeah. Yeah. That's not right. That's not right. It's being a goddamn bully. And boy, we've used that bully to turn out three or four times in the show. It's just not cool.
0: what do you think of Matt Stryker as a, as a commentator? You know, it's somebody that we thought once upon a time, boy, he's found his niche, this is where he'll be. And yeah, it doesn't seem like he was long for the WWE world.
1: Great fan, great product knowledge, very intelligent. Matt and I worked Russell kingdom nine together live at ringside in, uh, from Tokyo and, uh, the story behind that deal is that we're going out there. We hadn't worked together in a long time, live, live five hour pay-per-view, no bathroom breaks, be sure you wear your darks kids. Uh, and, uh, we never got a format in English ever. They give us our sheets, they're all in Japanese, sorry. No comprende pal, don't teach Japanese in in Westville, Oklahoma high school. So we were on our own. But so the reason I bring this up is because Matt, you know, it's like, so what are we going to do basically with hands? Because we had nobody in our ear. We didn't know when the pyro was coming. We didn't know when the replays were coming, nothing. Uh, They didn't give a shit that we were there or not to be honest with you, but he held his hands up like what now? And I said, basically memed or whatever we call I. just follow, just, just listen. And we made it through the five hour broadcast. I thought we did a pretty damn decent job considering the circumstances that very few people even knew about. We sat there. We had the We had the order of the matches because we, we knew that I got that off the internet, but we got nothing else. He endured that he endured it and he came through. And for that, he has my respect.
0: Let's talk about the matches here. Let's get going. We've got a, uh. A lighter match here with Shelton, Benjamin and Christian for the ECW world title Christians coming in as your champ. They get plenty of time here, 18 minutes and five seconds. It goes four and a quarter stars. Um, there is a spot here where they stop the match, the Texas state athletic commission, which, uh, Meltzer says doesn't even exist. Mandates that a match has to be stopped at the first sign of blood. Uh, what did you think of, of the angle? What did you think of the match and what did you think of the performers within Christian and Shelton Benjamin? Like
1: both guys a lot. If I had a promotion, I would love to have both guys on my team, uh, too long, the issue wasn't strong enough for an 18, 20 minute match going into it. And, uh, then the, uh, the ladder again, go back to what we talked about earlier. It just, it was an indiscriminate use of a ladder. And so it, it made it, this, it just was repetitious, uh, and it wasn't creative. So, but I, I, I didn't hate it, but I didn't but the match itself. Didn't jump off the page at me because it wasn't, there wasn't a terribly hot issue, I mean, white, hot issue. That would, that would necessitate a blow off match like a ladder match. Uh, and it was Christian and, and Shelton, but you know, it was a good opener and, and you can always depend on those two guys to give you all they got and to try to do the best job based on what tools they're given to work
0: with. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, where the, the blood situation is with the company, you know, where we're stopping the match here and blaming the athletic commission. I know there's a no blood policy. Christian starts to bleed. We stop the match. We close the cut. We, we get back into it, continue the match. How much of this as an old school guy, as you think was a little overkill.
1: It was a lot overkill if the talent's health is in jeopardy, that's one thing that was not this thing,
0: right?
1: It was like, as you know, it wasn't like a, a Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes, the main event, bloodbath. Right. Wasn't that it wasn't that it was simply a little bit of juice and over, over knee jerking the uh, no blood policy. You know, I think the no blood policy was more specifically, uh, for, uh, uh, using the, using a, a method to get the blood using the old blade. I think that was what was curtailed because you know, it is a contact, uh, profession. There is going to be bloody noses and busted eyes and busted lips and things like that. That's just going to happen. So, uh, but I'm not big on stopping if the, if, if the, if the talent isn't in danger, stopping the match and stopping their continuity and the flow of the match, not the best thing. But the bottom line is always should be as it should be now today and forever. No pun intended. Uh, the talent's health is first and foremost to any scenario. So that's, I, I understand why they, I the, the deal is, is that it was a PR thing to make sure that the, uh, the people that, that didn't like wrestling, you know, they did not like wrestling because we use the guys used blades to cut, to cut themselves. They didn't like the whole damn pr- process. And I don't, you know, I, I don't have a lot of time for those people, as I've mentioned, and so I, I thought it was okay. Good, good opener, good opener. But, uh, stopping the match for those guys are trying to build momentum did not do them any favors.
0: Let's talk about the next matches for the intercontinental title. John Morrison is going to lose to drew McIntyre. Drew is your new, IC champ. It takes him 10 minutes and 19 seconds to tell the story two and three quarters of a star and Meltzer would say. Uh, work better than average, but crowd, not that much into it. McIntyre isn't seen as a star, even with his push. I'm fascinated by this because 10 years later, both of these guys in the company after some stints outside, what'd you think watching this one back for the first time in a long time?
1: A lot of potential. Both guys are keepers. Uh, ironically, as you mentioned, McIntyre, McIntyre should have been, uh, anointed, uh, either WWE champion or the universal champion. Uh, A year ago, he's perfect for that, that role size, look, demeanor, skill set. Something has held him back. I don't know what it is. Uh, I got a lot of, I have a lot of confidence in in Drew McIntyre to the point where if Drew McIntyre came to a company that I was working in at the time, I would recommend him to be a champion. He had all the necessary ingredients to be a champion and now his, his, uh, his drive is even more than I think it was by, back then, he doesn't have as so many distractions in his personal life as he might've had back then. So I, I uh, I'm a big believer in, in Drew McIntyre and I'm proud to see that John Morrison just got back there. Uh, John's a great guy, smart, extremely talented. Uh, I don't know where this, he got back. He's a he stage life where he can make some good money, regular checks, all those things but I don't expect John to get this major push in WWE because here we are all these years later, uh, and you know, McIntyre, the big guy, the size guy that Vince covets, hasn't got his push yet either. So, uh, I don't know, but the match is fine. It's just, Dave made a good point that neither one were really over. Right. So the match, the match didn't have that emotional investment from the fans that you could verbally hear or see that they did not have. So. That was something negative about that deal. The work in the ring was fine.
0: Next up, we've got Michelle McCool. She's going to retain the women's title, beating Mickey James in seven minutes and 31 seconds. Uh, two and a half stars. Uh, Layla L is a ringside wearing a piggy James shirt, which you referenced earlier, um, not the best match. And, and Matt Stryker says, uh, to get started here and and Lawler and Cole take him the task that McCool should be in the hall of fame. And of course, Lawler and Cole are acting like that's ridiculous. And then, uh, Stryker's arguing that McCool is better than Wendy Richter or Leilani Kai. And of course, neither one of them are in the hall of fame either. So not, not a starring moment here for Matt Stryker. The match sort of is what it is for me. I thought both of the ladies were working hard, but. Uh, women's wrestling come a long way, and and this was uh, this one doesn't look as good in hindsight. What say you?
1: Well, it's changed a lot, but uh, both ladies great athletes. You, heard, you know what I think about Mickey? Sure. Uh, uh, I think she's she's the, one of the best of all time, uh, and Michelle, uh, great athlete, uh, Florida State background. You know, outstanding softball player. Uh, great, always an amazing condition. It's you know, but she was just getting started. I mean, you know, come on, she just getting started. Is it on today's level? Well, no, it's not on today's level. Cause these women didn't get the same training. They didn't have the same dancing partners. There's no reason for any female in wrestling now to, 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 want to, wanna, uh, to, uh, want to, uh, uh, you know, uh, to not be great and not to not have a chance to be good because you know that if you're good enough. You can headline major events, hence WrestleMania. Uh, and I, well, that's Ronda Rousey. Okay. Wait a minute. I think Ronda Rousey is still a woman. And I think her, she represented and brought her gender into the main event slot at WrestleMania, but not a cappella, obviously, you know, the Becky Lynch's of the world and the Charlotte's of the world, all these other ladies, uh, you know, they, they had a lot, a lot to do that as well. They just were a different place, different time, but it wasn't a bad match whatsoever. They didn't embarrass anybody. It just was a cold match uh so to steal a wrestling turn.
0: Next up we've got a tables match for the WWE title. John Cena's gonna be defending against Seamus. And Sheamus gets the win. Sixteen minutes and nineteen seconds and now he's your champ. Uh three and a quarter star. Meltzer would say uh, after Seamus left the ring, Cena got up and did the spot where he's looking for applause. He got some, but he got even more booze than applause even after losing the title. Either way, crowd was way into the match as much as anything else on the show. What'd you think here? Sheamus getting anointed with a big title win over John Cena.
1: Uh, that's why you have matches like these giving matches, like the tables match Cena didn't lose by pinfall or submission. The traditional ways of losing a wrestling match and losing a title. It was looked at as this will protect the champion, which I think is one of the most, the biggest crocks of crap there ever was protect this guy, protect that guy. If you're not good enough to lose by pinfall or submission, if you can't figure it out, then you need to really go, go get some more seasoning. You need to get another, you need to get out of the, you, you need to get out of the, the national spotlight here. The global spotlight. Cena can do that, but they didn't have the confidence that John could do it. Hence this, is this, is this is the less of the evils. So you make a champion in a gimmick match over your top guy, or certainly one of your top guys soon to be the top guy. And, uh, you do it, uh, in a, in a, a discounted way. Like he had a coupon. I just don't see the, uh, I, it's just a, you see it coming from a mile away. I like Seamus. I, I know he's coming back. He's taking some time off, probably smart deal because he was on the verge of being way overexposed, whether it be tags or singles, uh, but he's a very talented guy, tough guy. I like him a lot, but I, I just think that, uh, how he won that title, uh, is little discounted, I just didn't think I thought it could have been done better and made him a bigger, better champion, because look at the end of the day, the chasing babyface will prevail. And I just don't, th- I'm not buying into this. Well, we, we can't beat him. Why? Since when are you, are we back in the 1940s? 60s? Okay. We're back in the eighties. It's all passe. People forget and forgive. And they, if you're a good enough talent, you should be able to figure a way out to lose without a quote unquote killing you and destroying your push. You can't destroy your goddamn push. Folks just can't do it. Can't lose. It's crazy. It's in, it's absolutely laughable.
0: Let's talk about Seamus for a minute here. Why do you think Vince took such a, a locking to him so quickly? It feels like he debuts with a huge push. And, you know, you always sort of want to get into Vince's mind a little bit. Why does he get the push that maybe a McIntyre doesn't or or whatever?
1: He's Irish Conrad. There we go. He's Irish. Not there's anything wrong with that. One of my favorite Phillies Irish. The man Becky Lynch is Irish. My writing partner, Paul O'Brien is Irish. I got a lot of respect for the Irish and Vince is uh, Irish by the way. So I think that's that part of broke the ice. Uh, Seamus always had an overwhelming work ethic. He was an amazing warrior in the in the in the weight room. Uh, great training, dieting. He was dedicated, still is, I'm sure. but i, I uh, always had a lot of time for that kid uh, and a good kid. He's a good kid, good raising. He has good family. he's just he's solid. I'm sure that would have counted more for me than the Irish part, but I think the Irish got him into the dough and once he got into dough he he made he made his time good for him
0: let's keep it rolling let's talk about our next match it's a world title match and it's a chairs match this time it's undertaker and batista they have 13 minutes and 14 seconds undertaker retains you know the the chairs match concept is interesting especially in 2009 Meltzer would say The whole chairs match concept is difficult, but they didn't overdo the chair shots or do any brutal headshots with the chair. And a few months ago, the match would have built up, would have been built up by at least two sick chair shots. I do think that's worth mentioning a chairs match here when we're starting to get more of an understanding about C2E and head trauma. So you can't really do the crazy chair shots that you've done in the past, which is a good thing, but man, you really make it difficult for your talent to figure out how to put together a compelling chairs match. Once a precedent's been set that we're supposed to whack each other over the head, but we probably shouldn't do that now.
1: Absolutely. So you, you, you might wonder why was this match booked? Right. Because it fit into the TLC underscore C, uh, theme again, another proof, your honor, that we should not have booked a card this way. Look, undertaker and Batista in a world title match doesn't need a gimmick, right? Stop it, but to fit the whole, the whole theme. And so it can be slid softly under the tree, all nice and gift wrapped is, uh, was the, was the, was the mandate. So, uh, didn't like it. Uh, I, I, I thought the match was not representative of what both talents could bring. And I think that they were both limited a great deal because they were forced to use chairs, not that they had the option, and it worked in because it fit well in the storyline. You had to use a chair, and it was an un, uh, it was an unnecessary evil by far. You just can't convince me that people would not have been just as interested in that world title match without chairs as they were with chairs.
0: Something else I've wanted to ask about is there's a spot in this match where uh, Batista is going to deliver a low blow and then a chair shot, and then gets the pin. It feels like he's your new world champion. And then Teddy Long comes out and says, while the chair shot was legal, the low blow was not. He's not going to let the title change hands that way. So he orders the match to continue. Of course, Undertaker immediately gets the win. So it is sort of a weird little dusty finish thing, for lack of a better phrase. But Mm -hmm. I guess what I struggle with is, this is... Very inconsistent. We've seen, I can't tell you how many titles change hands after one of the guys delivers a low blow and it's not restarted. I I mean, is there any thought to some sort of continuity or consistency here or, or clearly just, Hey, fuck it. They won't remember. Let's just do it.
1: Yeah. I think more of the latter, uh, you know, again, trying to work around the chairs and trying to quote unquote, protect somebody. I just don't believe in that. That the talents protect themselves, and again, the mechanics of getting to a to to getting to the pinfall is up to one's creativity and their skill set. There's no doubt in my mind that both Undertaker and Dave Batista, who, by the way, congratulations for being uh, named to go in the WWE Hall of Fame this this spring. Uh, very deser- Excuse me. Very deserving. He was in that magical class, man. Cena, Batista, Lesnar, Randy. Shelton, nice class. Went to OVW. That'd been a hell of a territory back in this day. would not it? Those, those five guys. Yeah. Uh, so, but I, I, just think that again, they're saddled with a chair dilemma and and the overwhelming mind. And sometimes that's the boys, the boys love to get on the, in the head of another talent and say, well, how, how they, how are they protecting you? Right. How are they protecting you? How about this? How are you protecting you? How are you going to strategize uh, a three count, which takes three seconds by the by and, uh, and, and have a productive and, a, and a entertaining match? That's the question. So, you know, you, you can't depend on the producers or the coaches or the agents or whatever they're called today, uh, to solve all your issues. That's your deal. Cause they they're not going to be in there with you. So I, 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 uh, I thought that was a very misbooked match in hindsight. It should have been a classic, but the chairs dropped it down to where even a, a, a connoisseur of, of, of main event level matches like Dave Meltzer gave it two and a half stars should have been a three or four star match at least.
0: Let's get going to the next match here. It's Randy Orton and Kofi Kingston before the match even starts. Ted DiBiase and Cody Rhodes are, uh, suited up to tease. There's going to be a run in and they confront Kingston. He insults them, calls them carrier pigeons and, uh, you know, eventually you can imagine that this is all going to come to a head. We've got two and three quarter stars here for the match. Randy Orton gets the win 13 minutes and 11 seconds. Um, Meltzer would say crowd was dead for this match, a far cry from a month ago. when this was the hottest feud the company had in a long time. It almost took talent to have a feud where people weren't interested before they even got to the first pay-per-view match. Um, Meltzer would continue to say the booking of this program from where, from when it got hot to the finish of this match was mind blowing. A lot of folks, you know, sort of talked about this angle very recently with Randy Orton and Kofi Kingston, that it felt like they dropped the ball back in 2009 with this. So people were glad to see it dusted off. What'd you think here?
1: Well, I thought that, uh, it was a huge fumble in the red zone. Uh, those guys, if this is, this followed the incident they had in the garden. If I don't if I remember correctly, uh, I felt there's, there was magic in the garden, uh, interaction between Randy and Kofi. I thought, boy, you can build something on this. If somebody is listening and they are objective, then I think that you, it would be a no brainer. This is a, this is a great idea. These guys got chemistry and, uh, you know, I golly, I just thought, boy, this is, I can't believe they're just backdooring this thing. So you have to figure out this or address this. Is it because it's gotta be because Conrad, I think that the company didn't have the total confidence in the pairing, right? What else, What else could it be?
0: Nothing. I can't think of another reason not to go with it.
1: Yeah. And so is that because. Uh, Randy was a little bit of a wild child. Uh, and you know,
0: or did Vince uh, just not see Kofi as a top guy?
1: I think that was the other thing I was going to say. So, and I don't know what the answer is. Obviously over time, uh, if, if that were applicable, then it's changed because Kofi got his run as a champion and, and, uh, I thought he did a good job. I, I, I always thought, and, and I, I think Kofi responded to me on social media one time and I, I felt bad about it. I should have reached out to him. I should still should, where well, I mentioned that I want the champion to be a little bit more serious because I thought as the WWE champion or the, uh, that Kofi should have stepped away from our universal Champion, whichever one he was that he should have stepped away from, uh, a little bit, uh, distance himself a little bit from, uh, his partners and been a little bit more serious. That's just me. That's just opinion. It's not knocking Kofi Kofi did what he's produced to do. Kofi Kingston is an amazing, amazing athlete. And now he's where is he? So how come? And how come he's there? Randy Orton's a hall of famer, and Kofi will be in the hall of fame Sunday. Sure, Kofi needs another. Well, Kofi needs another run. But I got all the faith and the confidence in Kofi uh, that you could have. I really do, and uh, I hope WWE really realizes what they have in this young man. I, I think they do. They should by now. And of course, then Randy Orton's one of the best ever. He's and he's Randy's. Um, Randy's one of the more maturing influences. That's a scary thought, huh? Uh, In WWE right now, I love Randy Orton. I loved his attitude back in the OVW days. He was edgy, he was cocky, and you know it wasn't easy for for when I said I'm going to hire Bob Orton's uh, son to Vince. And what's he been doing? Well, he's been uh, in the in the service. (laughs) Okay, so you know I didn't say he got he had a little he had issues leaving the service, but uh, cause Vince would not like that, and he did when he found out he didn't like it. But we already had him signed, so. Let's give him a chance. Everybody I said, Vince, you said it many times yourself. Everybody deserves a second chance. Jr. even me and you. We've had a bunch of them. that's got, that's God's truth. So I'm a big fan of Randy Orton and what he's doing. Uh, but that was just a, think about this 2009. That was over a decade ago.
0: Right. And here we are still still
1: wondering, well, what's next for these guys? Right. You know, I, I don't. I, I, watched, I watched, I still watch WWE television. I sure. watch all kinds of wrestling. I watched the ring of honor pay-per-view this week. I thought it was, it was good. Uh, but I watch a lot of wrestling. I, I you know why I'm a wrestling fan and I'm by myself. So I saw, I have control of the remote and I don't know. I just, uh, it's just funny how we go all these years later and we're still asking the same questions about two talents that should be perennially on the top of the card every time there's an opportunity. And they're not,
0: I gotta ask, you know, I know we don't really talk about current stuff a lot, but PCO ring of honor, world champ. What'd you think?
1: Happy for him. Carl's a nice guy. You know, uh, really is a nice guy. He, he got, he got crapped on a little bit at WWE two. Uh, I can't remember. He got a, some controversy with somebody. Uh, Sean, I don't remember.
0: Shawn Michaels. The Click. Oh, was that who it was? Yeah.
1: Uh, okay. So. Uh, And I forget some of that stuff as Todd goes on. Those are things like that that you just don't want to pack in your carry on and take with you. So I I remember it now. So Carl didn't get the greatest of shakes when he was there. Uh, For a guy to overcome his handicap, being blind in one eye. You can only imagine, folks, there's not a lot of margin for error when you're blind in one eye and you're out there working your ass off and wrestling because an inadvertent eye poke and you're blind. Think of of that. All for the booking and, and your... And to maintain your your position on the card, so I'm happy for them. And I hey, I hope Ring of Honor, uh, could, you know, they they I hope they have great success going forward. We all need to cheer on every wrestling promotion because they have the same men and women doing the same things that AEW does, that WWE does, and so forth. Everybody should be given the support to make a living and and enjoy their life in the wrestling business, just like I have and like you are now, Conrad. You know, who'd have thought who'd have thunk this shit. About you a few years ago, or me when I was a kid being, having a 40 year career in the wrestling business, nobody, but we got to live that dream because we, we nobody tied us down and held us back. And so I, I'm glad Carl's got the chance. I applaud ring of honor for giving me that opportunity and he can work. He's a good worker and a, and a, and a nice guy. So nothing, the success that, uh, that PCO has is, is well-deserved to put it that way. And I, I, have a lot of time for Carl. I'll uh... be
0: I've never had a conversation about this with anybody, but I do think it might. It's, it's interesting to think in an alternate universe, what a PCO and AEW would have looked like, I I, you know, without ever having a conversation at all. It feels like the young bucks would have liked a PCO type character running around on TNT, but either way, ring of honor, world champ, congratulations to PCO. And let's talk about our big match here on the pay-per-view TLC 2009, uh, triple H and Shawn Michael's going to be taking on Chris Jericho and big show, the tag titles are going to be in a TLC match. And this is your main event, not the actual world titles, uh, but the tag titles here, they get plenty of time, 22 minutes, 32 seconds, uh, Meltzer, uh, he dug it and he gave it three and a half stars and says the crowd was definitely into the idea that winning the tag titles was a big deal. So I guess. You know, no debate here. You got a lot of star power. This goes on last. Do you think they made the right call with the tag belts being on last?
1: I think so. Uh, because it was pure TLC. Number one is why the, it should have been the only gimmick match on the card. Those guys worked around the fact that they, we'd already seen a tables match. We'd already seen a chairs match. We'd already seen a ladders match. And now we get them all in one. There's a lot of duplicity. It makes it challenging for the talents to come up with the unique things to do that will re-engage the audience after watching wrestling for several hours and being invested so much time, having so much time invested in a, packing your kids up or your buddies or driving to the arena and parking and all that good stuff. It's a long day and you're at the end of that long event and now you're challenging your, your for your very, very top guys to come up with something different to make their match unique. It's just hard to do. Uh, but the star power in that match was, uh, pretty remarkable. Uh, you know, big show was hot at that time, uh, was being utilized a great deal. Uh, Jericho was Jericho. Jericho never got to a match where he was second best. Uh, and he still isn't by the way, in my opinion, I'm biased. Yes. Uh, but then you had Sean and Hunter and you know, they, they were phenomenal. They, they had, they had amazingly natural chemistry. They liked each other. And I thought those guys had a hell of a match, but I would have ended with that match, quite frankly, because, again, uh, the ch- can you imagine ending the show with Taker and Batista in a chair match? Right. It wouldn't have worked. Now, could you imagine ending the show with Taker and Batista in a, in a world title match? Yeah, you could, but not when you bastardize it with a chair, because it's part of the theme. So, uh, But I thought it was a good match, good outing. Sean, I never saw Sean and Hunter. Have a bad tag team match. I never saw them have a bad match with each other or as partners. And uh, you know, and Jericho added a lot of energy to Big Show's game. You know, Jericho was that 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 uh, you know chirping that uh, barking dog. You know, and you get Big Show, the big giant of a human being, and Jericho acting like he was that size as well. It was great stuff. So uh, I, I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed watching it again. Uh, wish I could have called it, but. It wasn't in the cards that time, but it was a real good show closure. They knew what they were doing. They sent the crowd home happy. We had new champions and, and they had a good match while they were doing it.
0: what did you think of, uh, this era of Hunter and Sean together? Liked them
1: because of what I just said, they didn't have bad performances. Could they be pains in the ass at times and use their influence and their power and their, and their relationship with Vince? Yeah, they could have. And here's the thing, folks. Well, I knew he was gonna, I knew that was going to happen. Here's the deal. It's not anything unlike any other talent on the roster would have done if given the same opportunity. Uh, and those two guys, uh, you know, obviously Vince had a vested interest in both guys. Vince always thought that a young Vince McMahon reminded him of a young Shawn Michaels, kind of defiant, impetuous, uh, you know, a little cantankerous at times, honoring, whatever. Uh, so I, I, that and then of course Hunter kind of, had that family in, and so they they capitalized on that relationship. And some people did not like that because they couldn't capitalize on their relationship. So try harder, is all I can say. For my situation, they did not disrupt the locker room to any degree that the fans would like to believe that they did. And secondly, as far as the fans are concerned, we provided them a match that was always going to deliver. And their tag matches always delivered including this one. So I had no issues with it at all because at the end of the day, what's important is making our fans happy. And I always thought that Sean and Hunter never to deliver, to deliver on doing that.
0: Well, let's wrap it up. what did you think of the pay-per-view overall scale of one to 10? Uh,
1: well, it went in never going to be a 10 because of the concept. I would say because of the efforts, uh, of uh, the last match, especially. And, uh, and the work ethic of the talents trying to work around some very, uh, restrictive inanimate objects. Uh, the, the match, the show was probably about a six or a seven. You know, it was, I don't think I would asked for my money back, but, uh, I, I, it didn't move me when I watched it back again. I watched it on TV the first time. I don't think I was even there. Where was it? What do we have that at? Uh, San Antonio, San Antonio. I'm not sure I was there. I don't think I was there so, but it didn't matter. Uh, I, I thought it was solid Conrad six or seven.
0: Well, somewhere where I know you were there, it's uh, Starcade 88 and we're getting there next week. Of course, that show went down on December 26, 1988. Uh, and you'll be tuning in with us on December 26, but this time it'll be 2019. The tagline for the show is true grit. Your main event for the world's heavyweight championship. It's Lex Luger challenging the champ, Rick Flair. We've also got the tag titles on the line with the road warriors, uh, defending against dusty roads, who they just stabbed with a spike and sting. We've also got the U S title on the line with Bam Bam Bigelow and Barry Wyndham. The television title is up for grabs with Mike Rotunda and Rick Steiner. We've got the Russian assassins in there with JYD and Ivan Koloff, the midnight express versus the original midnight express with cornet and dangerously in the corners. And then, of course, to get us started for the United States tag titles, Kevin Sullivan and Dr. Death taking on the Fantastics, Bobby Fulton and Tommy Rogers. This is a much different show than the one we talked about today. It's on tap for next week. Starcade 88. What are you looking forward to breaking down the most, Jim?
1: Well, i tell you, this card was loaded with talent. Uh, this mentioning those names you just mentioned to certainly bring that to mind. I'll tell you that. And I gave this uh, show we talked about today, the TLC 2009 a uh, six, six or seven. Uh, it was not as good a show as the one we're going to talk about next week, uh, the '88 Bash. Uh, really good, I thought. The, the Battle of the Midnight was excellent. You know, Flair uh, was in rare form. Uh, kind of knowing he was getting his blow off with Luger. Uh, this I thought it was a, a, a good solid show. It, we kind of tried to make it feel big. I know Magnum TA and Tony Schiavone were the hosts. And Bob Cottle and I, which I always loved to th- go back and listen to Bob uh, and his work on our shows and working with me, was just amazing. Made me better. Being around Bob Cottle made me a better man, to uh, be honest with you. So, uh, because he wasn't a rassle speak, he wasn't always paranoid or looking over his shoulder uh, what's coming next. I just love Bob, still do. God bless him. We appreciate so life is good, folks, and we appreciate you guys listening to us too. Our 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 advertisers are getting great results. Thanks to you, folks. We really that's how we live here. If you don't get a hold of those advertisers and and use what we believe to be good products when you need them or you want them, uh, that's how we win. And so we're all about winning here. And we appreciate your guys' support. It means a hell of a lot, especially here here at the holiday season for
0: many of us. That's exactly right. Hope everybody is ready for Christmas. We'll be back with you next week. The day after Christmas, we're going to break down Starcade 88. Tell a friend, leave a five star review. If you think we've earned it, hit that subscribe button, and we'll see you next Thursday and every Thursday right here on Grillin' JR, only on Westwood One. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to
1: cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? Effort? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? You pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search BLEAV on YouTube or wherever you listen.